Father, it's such a privilege to gather to worship you and be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I know we've all missed this very, very much, so we're thankful for the time that we have together that you, you would speak to us through your word. We pray that um, all of our brothers and sisters can be with us. We don't want to be online. We want to be together in person and I pray for that, Lord. I pray for patience as we wait for that, and thank you for this opportunity to have a few services spread out and be with those we love. I pray you can be pleased with what takes place. We come together as much as we want to see each other uh, to worship you and for you to be pleased with what takes place, and so we ask for that. I ask for you to speak to us through your word and for our hearts to be open and receptive and listen. I think there's been a considerable amount to weary us recently. I hope this sermon would be fitting. We thank you for the timing of it and ask it to minister to your people and that Christ would be exalted through it. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen, amen. <clears throat> the title of this morning's sermon is Why We Might Be Weary and What We Can Do About It, Part 2. About a month ago, I preached Part 1 for those of you who remember, and then it was interrupted to preach those sermons about the direction we were taking as a church, but I'm fairly thankful for the delay because I feel like this... Uh, sermon is even more applicable today than it was a month ago when I planned to preach it. So since it has been a few weeks, I'd like to briefly review if you'd like to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12, we had started at verse 9 in part 1, and we'll back up to there to cover a few verses. I've been preaching to an empty church, so if I ask you guys a question, you better answer. I've been waiting to hear people respond to me, okay? Okay. <laughs> been a month of talking to myself, so be loud. Be loud. <laughs> All right, thank you. Okay, look at verse 9 with me. It says, besides being wise, the preacher, this is Solomon, he taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The preacher Solomon, we have many of the proverbs that he wrote in the book of Proverbs itself. Verse 11, it says, the words of the wise, this refers to scripture. The words of the wise are scripture are like goads. They're like nails, firmly fixed, are the collected sayings, and they are given by one shepherd. Now in verses 9 and 10, it discusses Solomon or the preacher. He sounds really good. You can see here that he's wise. He taught the people knowledge. He created Proverbs. He sought to find words of delight, and he wrote words of truth. And so when it discusses the words of the wise, you would expect it to say that these words came from him because of how good he sounds leading up to this point. But where does it say that these words of the wise come from? I need more than just James. Thank you, though, James. <laughs> Other people should be chiming in. Who did the words of the wise come from? One shepherd, it says, one shepherd. In the Old Testament, we know Psalm 23 uh, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, that shepherd is God, but then in the New Testament, it zooms in and focuses on one specific person and the triune nature of God, and we see that that shepherd is Jesus himself. John ten eleven. he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and this makes sense because the greatest wisdom is going to come from Jesus. I mean, Solomon was wise, and there's wisdom that he imparted, but when Jesus came on the scene, what did he say? That the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth, to hear the wisdom of Solomon, but now what? Now a greater or wiser than Solomon is here referring to himself, and so he is, the, he is the shepherd who gives us the greatest wisdom. Look at verse 11. The shepherd's wise words, which is really to say the word of God, 
It's fittingly compared with two shepherd's tools, and that's goads and nails firmly fixed, and this gave us lesson one, uh, part one. I left that filled in from the previous sermon, a goad that directs. God's word is like a goad that directs. Remember what goads were? There were large, or there were long sticks that were pointed at the end that shepherds used to direct their animals to go a certain direction. It's very fitting for the word of God to be compared with a goad because God's word, like a goad, moves us in the right direction. The shepherd can use it to poke us regarding where to go. And just as a goad could be painful at times or could sting, God's word can sting us or be painful for us at times as it directs us. Verse 11 says, the wise words are compared with nails firmly fixed as well. And that gave us the next part of lesson one, a stake that protects. God's word is like a stake that protects. The nails that are firmly fixed, you should think of a stake that would go in in the ground and then an animal would be tethered to that. And it would prevent the animal from doing what? Wandering off, getting into trouble, going into dangerous territory, going to keep that animal close to the shepherds, a very fitting for God's word to be compared with a stake. You could suspect that animals probably would not like being tethered to a stake, but it would be for that animal's good. Uh, It would, just as God's word is for our good, prevents us from wandering off or getting into dangerous territory, going places we shouldn't, keeps us near to our shepherd. Psalm 119.89, it says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens, just like the language here that these nails are firmly fixed. Unlike God's word, look what Solomon says about man's words. Verse 12, he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. And when Solomon says these, he's referring to the words of the wise in verse 11. And so he says, beware of anything beyond these or anything beyond God's word. Well, what would be beyond God's word? Man's words right? And so in in essence, Solomon is saying, beware of anything beyond God's word or beware of man's words. And then why would God give us this warning to beware of anything beyond his word? Because man's words are untrustworthy. That brought us to lesson two, part one. Man's words can be part one, untrustworthy. Two of the most important factors for determining the value of information is first, that it's accurate. I mean, how valuable is information if it's inaccurate? And that it's unchanging, because how valuable is information if it's going to be different, um, not just next year, but next month, next week, or even tomorrow? And man's words are both inaccurate and uh, changing. And so that's one reason to beware of man's words. And then the next part of lesson two, man's words can be part two overwhelming. Look at the second half of verse 12. He says, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So Solomon's point was that in his day, there was an overwhelming amount of information. And consider he was saying this when there was no what? Plenty of answers here. No printing press, no internet, no social media, no radio, no television, no text messaging. And he was overwhelmed by the amount of information in his day, so... I can only imagine what he would say about how overwhelming the information would be in our day. Now the new part for this morning. Lesson two, part three. Man's words can be wearying. Lesson two, part three. Man's words can be wearying. We're going to be talking specifically about news. We're going to be focusing on news and why it can be wearying. 
one aspect of man's words that can be particularly wearying. And this is the part of the lesson that we've been building up to. Largely, this is why I chose these verses to cover them a month or a month and a half ago. The news can be very wearying. I'm going to give you an account from Scripture that illustrates what Solomon is saying in Ecclesiastes. What's the other title for Jeremiah? He's the what? You would say Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's the weeping prophet. Could be the weeping prophet because he was so poorly treated. That would be enough to make anyone weep. My suspicion is he's known as the weeping prophet because of what he witnessed, because of what he saw, and then wrote about in the book of Lamentations. And what would that be? That would be the destruction of Jerusalem. That would be the Babylonians coming in after Jeremiah had witnessed to the Jews for 20 years, destroying the city of Jerusalem, destroying the temple, killing many Jews, carting off many others into exile in Babylon. Jeremiah witnesses all of this firsthand. He writes about it in the book of Lamentations. Let me just share a few verses. Lamentations 2.18. Jeremiah said, Their heart cries to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. And this is the important part. He says, Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. And so he said the people were going to give themselves no rest because of the horrors that they saw, because of what their eyes were forced to witness. Another example, Lamentations 3.49, Jeremiah says, My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite or without rest, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees, my eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. And so Jeremiah was saying that his eyes were causing him an amount of grief because of all the suffering that he was forced to, to watch or to witness. And he's in this very unique position because most people throughout history were only able to hear about catastrophes or disasters like the Babylonians coming in and judging the Jews. They would learn of the stories or hear the rumors about it. But Jeremiah was forced to watch this firsthand and it really, really affected him. That's one of the main points of the book of Lamentations, the terrible toll that it took on him to have to see these things, the toll it took on him uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Now, most people throughout history um, up to that point were not in his position. They would only hear of things. They'd only hear of the stories. And so there would be an individual he would be a herald or he would be the town crier. And what he would do is he would walk into the middle of the city, the town square, and then he would declare to everyone the news. So he, this individual would be the closest to a local news station, the town crier would be. And all the people would hear the stories from him and then they would relay them to their friends. There was a chance that they might see pictures or drawings that people made but then there was always this nagging but somewhat encouraging thought in people's minds that no matter how bad things sounded, they probably weren't that bad. That the stories I'm being told are probably being exaggerated for dramatic effect. And so there was always this way for things to be uh, somewhat minimized to people. And I want you to do something. I want you to fast forward from Jeremiah's day, 2,600 years. And if we go, th- go forward 2,600 years, that takes us to the 1820s, 1820 AD. And around the 1820s, photographs were developed. 
And so now the news isn't just stories or accounts. It's accompanied by photographs of the events that had taken place and at times even the horrors that had been experienced. And so now instead of just hearing what happened, people could see what happened. And what's the saying? A picture is worth what? A picture is worth a thousand words. And the idea is whatever we see is going to be considerably more impactful. It's going to evoke a much stronger response than something that we just hear. And so this is why Jeremiah was so devastated in his day, not just because of what he heard, but because of what he saw. But now the news can be accompanied by these photographs that can evoke similar responses in people as they're able to see some of the, the, these horrors or these pictures that can accompany the news. Now, fast forward again. Let's go 120 years. So go from 1820, now we're at 1940. And now what, start, now what starts accompanying the news? Not just photographs, but we have videos. Videos are prominent. And then I thought, because I couldn't find a quote for it, but if a photo is worth 1,000 words, then what's a video worth? A thousand pictures, I suppose, yeah. And so, what effect do you think this has when people aren't just hearing or reading, not even just seeing a photograph, but seeing videos of different events, how much this would affect people? And here's the problem, because you could be listening and saying, well, if the news isn't bad, then it wouldn't affect people negatively. But the problem is the news is bad because there's a common saying in the news, maybe you've heard it before, see if you can finish it, if it bleeds, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads. And this is why so much of the news is filled with crime, filled with violence, filled with political division or unrest. The news wouldn't be bad if it was at least balanced with some amount of positive stories or uplifting accounts or encouraging records of of people's deeds or the ways that they've helped each other. But news agencies, more than anything else, or primarily, are businesses, which means the bottom line for them is what? Not accuracy with the news, but money. And so the question is always going to be, what is going to draw in the most viewers? What story is going to give us the highest ratings or allow the most people to be tuning in? And it's no secret that the most attractive news is bad news. The good news doesn't bring in those viewers, and so that's what they're going to be showing because of the popularity. And what you need to know is that all of this negative news has very negative effects on us. Let me say that one more time. All of the negative news has very negative effects on us. A study published in the British Journal of Psychology, it found that the negative effects of watching bad news occurred, and listen to this, after only 14 minutes. And so what that means is if you were to be in a good mood, feeling good emotionally or mentally, perhaps even spiritually, you can watch the news and within a matter of moments, your mood can be changed. Now, the reason that I would quote uh, an article or a study from a journal like this isn't because I think it, it, you know, confirms what God's Word says. It's because there's no bias. And so my point is, even the secular world 
can acknowledge or appreciate what Jeremiah was basically saying through the book of Lamentations, that to see these sorts of things, which was my point, if it wasn't clear enough, let me just be clear. My point in mentioning those verses from Lamentations was Jeremiah was a man who saw these things and it had a terrible effect on him. And even the secular world acknowledges that, the negative effect mentally, emotionally, from seeing these sorts of things. Let me give you some examples that I suspect most of you are familiar with. First, let's think about the Boston Marathon bombing. It was on March or April 15th, 2013, and two bombs were detonated near the finish line of the race. It killed three people. Several hundred other people were, were injured by it. Now, because this was a popular event, because it was an annual event, there were many agencies that were there covering it, recording it, had videos of it. And then there's also some number of people who were there, and they're recording it with their phones, And if there's one location in particular that they're going to be recording, it's going to be the finish line. And so my point is, when these bombs were detonated, there's no shortage of videos of what had transpired at this race. And people could just watch it over and over again, these bombs going off. And then all of the the terror and the horror is, is, you know, um, people, some of them running for their lives or the carnage that was, was left from them. Now listen to this. There was a study in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that found that people who watched hours per day of news covering the bombings had worse acute stress symptoms than people who were actually present at the race when the bombs went off. Why would that be? Because when it happened to the individuals who were at the race, it was so quick. It happened and then it was over. But people that tune in for hours to the news, what are they doing? They're just watching the same thing over, and then they watch it again, and then they watch it from another angle, and then they see someone else's video of it, and then they see something that's zoomed in that they hadn't seen before. Take your mind to September 11th. I want to try a different approach with this event. Imagine you had not seen what happened and had no familiarity with this, and someone came to you and said something terrible happened. Terrorists hijacked planes and then they flew these planes into the Twin Towers. How would you respond? You would be shocked. You'd probably maybe bring your hand to your mouth. You would gasp at the horror as you kind of imagine what took place. Now imagine something else. Now imagine instead of someone telling you about what happened, someone comes to you with photos, and they say, look at this photo of these planes that flew into, these, into the Twin Towers, or here's this photo, look at the smoke rising or the flames coming out of the window, or here's this photo, look at the towers collapsing. I mean, that would be literally a a very shocking moment to see something like that, the evidence of it, you know, to set your eyes on something uh, that horrific. But now imagine that you see videos of it. It was one of those events where most of us can remember not just seeing the videos, but where we were, what we were doing, what was happening in our lives. For me, I was working at a distribution center for Target in Woodland, uh, California. Woodland, Washington is the second Woodland I've lived in. And so I was in Woodland, California, and I worked at night, and so I wasn't awake when the the bombings took place or when um, when the planes flew into the buildings. And so my mom called me, and she woke me up, and she said, do you know what happened? I said, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And she says, you need to turn on the news and see. And I said, well, what channel? And she said, it doesn't matter. Just turn on anything, and you'll see it. And I can remember turning it on, and all of the videos, you know, the 
over and over, just the planes flying into the buildings, the explosions. I remember all of the smoke coming up. I can remember all the flames coming out the windows. I can remember over and over the buildings collapsing. I can remember all of the people on the ground just running for their lives, terrified, all of the, all of the screaming, all of the fear. And I'd go to the next channel, and it's the same thing. And I change a channel again, I change a channel again, another channel, another channel, all of them showing the same thing over and 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 over, hours and hours and hours. You go to the doctor, it's on the screen there. You go to a restaurant, it's on the screens there. You go anywhere, over and over and over, just watching that horrible event. And how much worse do you think that is than hearing about it, having it described for you or even seeing a picture of it? And this is why it affects us so dramatically. Listen to this. There were studies done following the September 11th attack that revealed that watching repeated news coverage of the event, it triggered post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms in viewers. And why is the news so devastating? It's because we can't be detached We put ourselves there. We put ourselves at the end of the race when the bombs went off. We put ourselves at the top of the buildings with the flames ascending and the smoke coming up and we're choking. We can't escape. We know that we can't go down because we imagine what it's like for those people. And when we imagine what it's like for them, we imagine what it's like for us. We are there. And there's no way to not be terribly affected by that. Your heart starts racing. Your blood pressure is rising. You're filled with anxiety. Any peace, joy, contentment you had before that, it's gone. And now you're just filled with anxiety. This past week, I watched some policemen that murdered a man named George Floyd. And I started to watch the video and I stopped. I couldn't watch it because it was so horrible. I saw him on the ground there, and he was handcuffed, and he was begging for his life. And I couldn't watch it because I just imagined being him. I imagined a policeman's knee on my neck being unable to breathe, calling out for help with some number of people standing around, and nobody does anything, feeling, feeling my life escape me, which is what he must have went through. And the news of his death, then it's followed up with what? Now all the videos of rioting, all the videos of looting. When you turn on the television, I don't even know if you'll catch the, I don't even know, I don't want to say catch the coronavirus. I almost can't even say the sentence that way. What I meant was you won't even catch the coronavirus on the news. I don't even know if you'll get to catch George Floyd dying because now the news is so filled with all of the buildings that are burning, all of the rioting, all of the looting. This morning I was just trying to see what's going on in Portland, state of emergency there. Katie was checking in on a woman in the church, and she came to me and she said, Katie came to me and she said, I I contacted this woman and asked her how she was doing, and then the woman told me, and it's just a perfect picture of your sermon. And when Katie told it back to me, I said, you need to go go ask this woman if I can share with the church what she said. So Katie asked this woman and gave me permission to share this. Katie says, how are you doing? And the woman writes back and says, I'm okay. I was crying this morning about George Floyd and I watched a thing about Jeffrey Epstein. I feel like the world is a very dark 
and depressing place. And that's what the news can create. And I just wonder if we're meant to have this much familiarity with the suffering and horror that's going on around the world. Because you don't know of, of one accident. You don't know of one death. You know of 20. You don't know of one or two people with cancer. You know of 20. You don't know of one building burning. You know of 20. You don't know of one business closing down. You know of 20. Do we have the mental and emotional bandwidth for this? And I just don't think we do, and I don't know that it was God's plan for us to be carrying around this much grief and this much suffering. There's something that makes this even worse. Since news agencies know that what makes them the most money is to, prevent, is to present or report the most horrific stories, what is going to be their temptation with every story? To make it sound as bad as possible. To present whatever facts are going to allow this report to sound as horrific as you can imagine. And so because of that, news agencies engage in what I call honest dishonesty. Honest dishonesty. And what I mean by that is they will present facts that are honest, but they might leave out some facts, or they will present them in such a way that people come to the wrong conclusion regarding what's actually transpired, which is where there's the dishonesty. So it's honest dishonesty. Here's something that happened recently, just one example. March 25th could probably be considered near the peak of the fear of the coronavirus. CNN, or CBS, excuse me, news aired footage of a hospital in New York And the hospital just looked overwhelmed, overrun, devastated, desperate, overcrowded. It was the kind of video that you looked at and you thought, if this is what a hospital in New York looks like, and then you project that hospital across the hospitals in the country, then this is probably the end of the world. (laughs) You know, we've we've reached the apocalypse. I guess I missed the rapture. I mean, if you're pre-trib, right? (laughs) And so then it turns out that it wasn't a hospital in New York. Does anyone know where it was? A hospital in Italy. They could not have chosen a worse hospital to show. And in my mind, I don't, I don't know if I would say I was furious. And I don't want to be accusing, and you can send me an email if you think I'm sinning and I need to repent, but I thought, you're a news agency you couldn't get not just the hospital, not even the country, the continent. You couldn't even get the continent right with people terrified of what's going on. You show the worst hospital imaginable and prey on the fears of people who are already panicked and plagued with anxiety. That's what you do. And so... The news makes the news worse. Here's what's interesting. You would think that because news makes us feel so bad that we wouldn't want to watch it. 
It doesn't come up in the list of addictions as often as alcohol or pornography or even anger or bitterness. News can become completely addictive. People can be as addictive, as addicted to the news as the worst drug addict or the worst drunk or the worst porn addict. And they've got it. It's almost like they're fixed. They've got to tune in. They've, they've got to see what's happening next. They'll watch hours of it. And there's a terrible negative toll that's taken. Dr. Carol Lieberman, she's a psychiatrist who focuses on the media's role in mental health disorders. She's been studying the current crisis or the coronavirus, and she developed a little bit of prominence because she coined the term coronavirus stress syndrome to describe the anxiety and panic caused not by the virus, but caused by the constant media coverage of the virus. And she said... The more stressed a person is, the more their immune system is weakened. So this makes them more vulnerable to catching the coronavirus. Therefore, watching round-the-clock news about the coronavirus actually makes people more vulnerable to it. Now, I want to get you to think about something for a moment. I'm not joking when I ask you this. When the cartoons are on, what do they advertise during commercials? What do they advertise? Go ahead, give me some guesses. Toys, candy, snacks, cereal, yeah. Okay. When, let's say the football game is on, what are they advertising? Cars, alcohol, trucks, right? Whatever is going to appeal, whatever is going to appeal, they think, to the, to the, you know, stereotypical person watching. When I was growing up, if it was Sunday morning and I turned on the television, it's children in third world countries, because they know that's the premier time that people will give for these children. Now, here's the question. When the news is on television, what are they advertising during the commercials? Have you ever noticed before? It's products for conditions that the news promotes in people's lives. The next time you're watching the news, notice how many commercials are for anti-anxiety medication. Notice how many commercials are for cholesterol-lowering drugs. Notice how many commercials are for weight loss. And why is that? Because these are all ailments that are worsened by elevated levels of anxiety and stress, which the news promotes in people's lives. So picture someone is in a fine mood, They begin to watch the news, and immediately, they're filled with anxiety. And then they think, I need something for my anxiety. And then the commercial comes on. That's what I'll purchase. It's, I guess you could say great advertising as much as I hate it. I was a business major, and there's not really a better way to sell something than to target people when that's exactly what they're experiencing. And that's what the news produces in people's lives. And I'll tell you why this sermon is so important. I'll tell you why this sermon is going to apply long, long after the, you know, the coronavirus and the quarantine, let's say, could be in our rearview mirror. We could fast forward 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 years. If Christ hasn't returned, this sermon is going to be completely applicable, and here's why. In John 16, so this sermon goes way beyond the coronavirus. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world you will have what? And as long as you will have tribulation, 
you're going to have news because there's going to be pestilences, there's going to be plagues, catastrophes, disasters, deaths, recessions, diseases. Right now you can add to the list riots, looting. And as long as we have these events, then we're going to have news covering them. And so I want to give you three encouragements. The first encouragement, don't watch the news late at night. I'm not joking. You don't need to bring this anxiety with you to bed. So if you want to familiarize yourself with the news, do it earlier in the day. And when the evening comes, spend time with your family. If you're married, spend time with your spouse. If you have children, spend time with your children. Listen to Christian music. Listen to sermons. Read your Bible. Gather your family around the Word of God. Second, avoid too much news. Notice I didn't say avoid the news. I said avoid too much news. You've heard me say many times the Christian life, it's one of balance. And this is another example. We should be informed. We should know what's happening around us. We should have accurate information, especially if we're going to talk about things. Or you could say we should study. But like verse 12 says, much study is what? A weariness of the flesh. So there is a downside to too much news. You need to be careful how much you're consuming. It's interesting. We talk a lot about social distancing. Sometimes you need to social distance yourself from the news. And think about this. Things change month by month, even week by week, sometimes day by day. Things are not changing hour by hour. In other words, you don't need to see hours of the news. You are not going to miss that much. I heard someone say one time, and, and the more I thought about it, the truer I think this is, you wouldn't even need to watch the news, and here's why. If something is that big, you'll hear about it. If you never watch the news, would you know about the coronavirus? Would you know about George Floyd? Would you know about riots and looting? You would. If you're a relational person, you're going to hear, you're going to learn. Anything of real consequence or significance is going to reach you. You definitely, even if you want to watch the news, go ahead, but you don't need to see hours and hours of it. And if you're going to watch it, just consider the toll that that's taking on you, which brings me to my third and final encouragement. However much news you're consuming, please, as your pastor, hear me when I say this, please make sure you are consuming considerably more of God's word. For however much news you are digesting, please be digesting considerably more scripture. There's something wrong if you're getting hours of the news and you are not getting hours of God's word. We're all feeding ourselves. Our eyes are are windows to our souls. And so we're always bringing things into our lives that are influencing us. We have the opportunity to feed ourselves multiple ways. Now let's just connect the dots. Kind of think about this sermon and part one. Man's words are what? Man's words are untrustworthy. Man's words are overwhelming. Man's words are wearying. God's word is like what? It's like a goad that directs us, points us in the right direction. Plenty of other things we could say about God's word too. Challenges us, equips us, sanctifies us gives us truth, matures us, conforms us into the image and likeness of Christ. It is a, it's a stake that protects us. It's not going to be like the news that's being inaccurate or misleading or deceiving you or making you think things. That's, here's what's nice is when God's word is severe, it's not exaggerated. That's the truth. 
God is telling you that because he loves you. You don't have to look back. Like when you watch the news, you have to look back and you're like, are things really that bad? Is that the truth? Oh, wait, this other news agency is saying the exact opposite. With God's word, you never have to do that. (laughs) With God's word, you can look and it's perfect and it's true. There's no deception. There's no manipulation. You're told what is loving. You're told what is right. As I was reflecting on the news and why it can be so wearying, it occurred to me that it's because of the absence of hope. The news wouldn't really be that bad if there was some hope combined with all of the despair. And so I want to give you some hope. But first, I need to give you the bad news. I want you to take your minds back to the Twin Towers for a moment. And there were these individuals who were trapped above the flames, as you know, and they couldn't escape. The flames are coming up, the smoke is coming up, and so many of these people, they made the last decision of their lives, and they jumped. They threw themselves from the building. And from the top floor, it was a 10-second free fall for them. And of all the videos and all of the images, probably the most famous or the one that's most etched in people's minds, at least this is the case for me. I read this morning they've had a documentary about it. They've written articles, even a book about it. It's known as the falling man. It is the image of the falling man, this man with this white shirt, these black pants, and he's frozen in that 10-second window for millions of people to see him. And he was unable to save himself when he was in the building, and he was even more unable to save himself after he had jumped out. And he's in this free fall. He's powerless to do anything, to improve or remedy what's happening. And this brings us to lesson three. We are the falling man. We are the falling man. We don't know his name, which in a sense makes him a fitting, albeit terrible picture of all of us. But brothers and sisters, this is what I want to say to you. And this is the truth, and just give me your attention. From the moment that you're born, you are in a free fall. All of us are hurtling toward what? We are all plunging toward what? Death. We are completely powerless to save ourselves. We can do about as much to improve or remedy our situation as that man could as he was hurtling toward the ground. And this is the other thing to consider. Measured against eternity, you've got about 10 seconds. Measured against eternity, your life is about 10 seconds. And what's interesting is speaking of the news... This isn't even the worst news. The worst news is not that you're hurtling toward your death. The worst news is plunging toward hell. The worst news is that we deserve hell. And that falling man was hurtling toward the ground, but we're hurtling toward a much worse fate, and that's eternal suffering and separation from God. 2 Thessalonians 1, it says, Those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But here's the good news. 
The good news is Christ will save us. The good news is Christ will reach out and he will grab us on our way down and he will deliver us. While we're powerless, he is powerful. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We can receive eternal life. The good news or the gospel allows all of our anxiety, fear, internal, mental strife to be replaced with hope, to be replaced with joy. Because of what Jesus has done for us, there's no news story. There's nothing that a news agency could ever report that can ever undermine or shortchange what Jesus has done for us. So the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ's victory over sin and death, allows us to not only have peace, but to have joy and to have hope, regardless of whatever comes on the news. When you walk out of here, no matter what you see, no matter how horrible it looks, no matter how much anxiety could be produced in your heart, there's enough hope in the gospel to fill us with joy and peace. And that is the news, the good news, the gospel that's worth reading about. That is what's worth meditating on. So I'm not going to tell you not to watch the news, but if I can, as your pastor, direct you toward the real news, the good news, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of news that will fill your heart with peace and joy despite any fear or anxiety you're experiencing. Set your heart and mind on that news. Now, if you're the falling man who has not reached out for the hand of Christ to save you, today can be the day of salvation. Today, today can be that day you stop falling toward eternal punishment. You stop falling toward eternal suffering. You fall into the safe. You fall into the secure hands of Christ himself. Father, we thank you for that reality that while we were plunging toward death and judgment, your son intervenes. He reaches out and he grabs us and nobody snatches us out of his hand. And that there's nothing that the world can put before our eyes that can ever threaten that truth or reality. There's nothing that can take place around us. There's going to be more stories, more news, more horrible accounts because we live in a sinful, fallen world. There will be people doing evil things. There will be horrible things happening around us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is where the victory is, where the peace is found, and where the joy that can fill our hearts can be gleaned if we meditate on that and read that truth. So we thank you for your word, Lord, that it's recorded for us. And I do pray that it would be the gospel of Jesus Christ that fills our hearts with joy and peace. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to be bombarded by more bad news, Lord. That's the world that we live in because we have sinned and it's fallen. But we thank you so much that we have the good news that we can hold to. And I do pray that that's what would fill our hearts and minds. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen.